Hello, it's Vikas Porta, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, delegates. Thank you very much indeed uh, for coming to this session. What will Brexit mean for young people and even possibly for older people in the room like me? And there's absolutely no doubt that Brexit is the defining moment for any generation. As uh, my Uber driver, Boris Johnson, told me on the way to London Heathrow Airport just yesterday. In this debate, we want to work out what the UK leaving the European Union will mean how Brexit will change the lives of young people living in the UK and across the world today. And in this interesting format we have here, where we have to watch what's happening, of course, behind us, which is nothing new for prime ministers in the room. You're used to that as a profession. Let me introduce, directly in front of me, is Professor Becky Francis, who's director of the UCL Institute of Education. Becky regularly serves as a consultant to the UK government and international agencies on education policy matters. She's currently directing the Education Endowment Foundation-funded project Best Practice in Grouping Students, which is looking at the practice of grouping pupils by attainment. A round of applause, if you would, please, for Professor. Thank you. <laughs> to my immediate right is Jitesh Gardia, now Lord Gardia, is a board member of the UK Government Investments, British investment banker and businessman, born in Kampala in Uganda, raised in the UK. Lord Gardia, you've held a string of senior positions at the biggest names in global banking. You provided input on strengthening UK-India relations and been associated with some of the largest investment deals between the UK and India. Applause, please, for Lord Gardia. <laughs> Directly opposite me, but hopefully not politically, is George Papandreou, who served as Foreign Minister of Greece from 1999 to 2004 and as Prime Minister from October 2009 to November 2011. A champion of human rights, he's now seeking to maximise citizen participation in governance through information technology and other developments. Applause, please, for Mr. Pobindreo, if you would. And immediately to my left, and I'm sure that is politically, Matteo Renzi, who served as Prime Minister of Italy from February the 2014 until December 2016. I think I'm right in saying you were the youngest Prime Minister ever of your country. Is that correct? Yeah. Congratulations to you for that. The second is Mussolini. It's not a great benchmark. <laughs> but did you make the trains run on time? This is the other. <laughs> He's also president of the province of Florence from 2004 to 2009, and you served as mayor. I note, if this is correct, your nickname, sir, is the Scrapper. Yeah. So I'll be very interested in what happens. Is that because of fighting or politically? Or a bit of both? Both. Okay. Both. I'll wait to hear your views on Brexit. Round of applause, if you would, please, to Signor Renzi. Right. And as I've said to the panel, if, as you hear, some of your colleagues say something and you want to get involved, let's start. Right. Can I start with you, my lord? It says here that you are an inner part of David Cameron's inner circle. So this is all your fault, is it? <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming. I'll leave on a high if that's all right. Well, Nick, it's all going to plan. <laughs> um, well, seriously, look, I can't sit here in the middle of the gravest political and constitutional crisis the UK has faced since World War II and pretend that it doesn't look like uh, a mistake to have called a referendum. And you say look like a mistake. You well, I think, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing and there'll be hindsight 
to the current situation that we are in, clearly using a simple binary referendum on a complex issue um, is being tested to destruction in front of our eyes. So that's the first thing to say. I think the second thing is that the UK isn't actually that accustomed to nationwide referenda. We've only had two before this, only two other referendum in 1975 to get into Europe and in 2011 on the alternative voting, a, a change to the voting system. So, you know, to quote Clement Attlee, um, referenda are alien to our traditions. So I do think that we... Why did he go ahead with it, Jitesh? Well, look, you know, and I, and I think... Anybody try and stop him? He, 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 will, he will be able to speak for himself. Maybe we will get the Varki Foundation to invite him here next year. He's publishing his... Well, I think he needs all the work memoir. he can get at the moment. He, but yeah, go on. He's publishing his memoirs, so he'll, he'll speak for himself. Clearly, at the time when he made the um, speech, the famous Bloomberg speech in 2013, um, there was a view that he needed to arrest the rise of... UKIP, and I think others have commented on why should a referendum be used, I think yeah. even Mr. Renzi, yeah. why should a referendum be used to solve a party issue? The only thing I would say, though, is, and this is not necessarily in his defense, he can do it himself, is the future of the UK in Europe has been a burning issue for a very long time, and I suspect if he was sitting here today would say, look, you can always shy away from issues and not confront them head on. By holding the referendum, he wanted to confront those issues head on. Clearly, it's having very unintended consequences. Back to you in a moment. You, you mentioned Matteo Renzi. You were quoted last month in an FT article as saying, reality will eventually beat the populists. I'd like you to expand on that. But firstly, did Mr. Cameron need to call a referendum? Would you have done? Well, I lost my job for a referendum, also in Italy. So I'm ready to found a club with David Cameron. But I think David will be the president and um, I will be the deputy president because for me, the referendum was an obligation for constitution. We tried to change the constitution. So it's very complicated. The Italian system changed government uh, more or less every year. Yeah. This is just like another day, another day at the office for you, I imagine, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, we, we changed um, 65 government in 72 years. So the, the, we try to change that, and I lost the referendum. And 2016 is, was very worst year to celebrate a referendum in UK, in Italy, in Colombia, every, you know, in Netherlands, everywhere. I think that, I think despite this uh, curriculum, I believe, uh, yeah, sure, for sure, the decision of David was a mistake, because if we, we if we come back to 2014, right? Okay, you're being silenced. Referendum. When I spoke about the referendum on the, the Kremlin press at work again, you'll have to speak yeah, up. Yeah. And uh, in 2014, UK, I remember the period before the European election. I remember a great. Uh, uh, performance, a great record of result of the David Cameron government. So, uh, now the, this is the past. The problem is today the chaos in UK. And for me it's normal because I'm Italian politician, so I know what is the chaos in politics. <laughs> for British politicians are not, uh, this is a real surprise. And I think there is a great responsibility from my friend uh, and former colleague Theresa May, 
because she made a lot of mistakes also in the manage of that. And also, I'm sorry for that because it's belonged to my party, also from Jeremy Corbyn, because the leader of opposition made maybe the same mistakes. So today, UK is a chaos. This will be a disaster for UK economy in the next five years and will be a great problem also for Europe because in the last two years, every, everywhere we discuss about the future of artificial intelligence and in Europe we discuss about natural stupidity with the discussion of red tape of bureaucracy after referendum in the UK. George, I want to bring you in in a moment, but of course we're here as regards teaching and as regards education. So let's get to Becky first, if I may. If you will allow that Britain has a fairly enviable position for teaching and for education in the world, how might Brexit affect that? Well, it's a, it's a, fa it's a great question because on the one hand, I think that you could say actually uh, teacher training in the UK is counter-cyclical. We may end up, actually end up with more teachers uh, if we have an economic crisis post-Brexit. <coughs> So you could say that given that we are, have a teacher recruitment crisis in the UK at the moment, uh, actually uh, education may have some unintended benefits from, from Brexit. But the issue for young people in the UK is profound. And I think that when we, the, the focus so far um, hasn't quite picked up the, uh, the bitterness uh, in the UK at the moment, the paralysis, the anger, and the paranoia. Uh, this is um, affecting you know, families, uh, business, every area uh, of, of UK activity at the moment. And who is excluded from that? It's young people. You know, young people haven't been able to vote in the referendum despite being uh, overwhelmingly supporting of, of Remain. Um, they're excluded and they're disenfranchised. And I think, again, one of the things that we have to keep a hold of in this debate is how tight the decision was, 48 to 52% of the population voting uh, uh, remain and leave, and that young people have been left out of this. And the other thing, the last thing I'll say from an educational position is, of course, the very close correlation between levels of education and voting in, in the uh, referendum, with um, those more strongly educated uh, much more likely to vote remain. This, of course, again comes to the heart of the question about is education supporting global elites and advantage, or is, are, are we educating for democracy? And I hope that we'll be able to get into some of those questions in this We debate. will. I'll come back to you. George, let's bring you in, probably of the, the grouping here. You had some fairly protracted times with the EU. Mm -hmm. Watching Theresa May deal as she, help, as she has, what advice would you give her? What advice might you offer to the <coughs> EU? Well, just to begin on the referendum, I called the referendum in 2011. Are you joining Matteo's club I'm as joining well? Him. I, I, I actually, I wish I had joined him because I was <laughs> hoping to have a referendum and everybody pounced on me, both outside some leaders in the European Union and in my party, which was actually uh, ended up with me resigning. Uh, and I wish I did actually have a referendum. I think we would have won it and we would have gone through this crisis. The strategic difference between Greece and Britain is that we decided, despite sacrifices, to stay within the European Union. We said, okay, the European Union has its problems, but it's better together, we're stronger together. We actually have more control, to go to the slogan that the 
Brexiteers had take back control. I think they are losing control, leaving. No man or no woman is an island. Uh, and I think this is, this is proven. Now, I think from my experience, what we had is, first of all, we did have the solidarity of the European Union, although it took time. There was a mechanism that actually helped us. We needed to access funds. We needed to borrow. We couldn't borrow on the market. The European Union did provide these funds, so that did show solidarity. On the other hand, we had internal, internal divisions as in the UK. When uh, Portugal or Ireland or Cyprus worked together, the cohesion of their internal party system, despite the differences they may have had on other issues, on this crisis, they said, let's do it together, mm. let's move forward, and they were much quicker. But if we, we put ourselves where Mrs. May finds herself now, George, has she, what mistakes has she made? Well, I think the internal division of the political elite uh, and the political parties, and maybe the narrow uh, mindedness of some of the parties, and may, uh, I mean, uh, you even, Matteo talked about uh, Jeremy Corbyn, I would want to see much more, but obviously Theresa May didn't reach out in the beginning to create, as po if possible, a wider consensus. Had she done so, and had she been successful, which would have, of course, have had to have had the positive response from the other side, I think that would have been different. Because the real issue here is, what is the position of the UK? I mean, when you're negotiating, if you don't really support your own position, you have a clear position, of course the other side will have its position, and that's what actually the, Euro the European Union showed a very, very efficient unity and, 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 and negotiating not only tactics but strategy in defending some of the basic principles of the European Union, and, and the UK found itself uh, floundering. So I think this was the ba basic issue. Now what can she do now? Um, I mean, I, I know what I would do, but I'm not What sure. would you do? I would say, listen, we tried, we tried, we see what, we've done this for two years, we've worked it, now you, everybody knows what the deal is, um, maybe we should ask the people again. A second referendum. Yes. You're actually part of the British political process, to explain to people, uh, Lord Gadius, uh, Gadius sits in the upper chamber, the second house, if you will. Do you agree, Jitesh, the idea we do it all over? So look, so far I've been very cautious on a second referendum because I think it could be twice as toxic as the first. Um, you know, we heard about the divisions in sort of families, communities, and I'm not sure that that would easily bring things together. So what is the solution? Because, I mean, so, George is right. It is an extraordinary muddle at the minute. So look, you know, just to, and I'll do this in stages because I think it is worth having, certainly, you know, we're sort of dragging uh, all the audience into our national obsession, but many of you may not have been following the, the sort of, you know, minutiae of this. So just in terms of how this thing was uh, kicked off, um, you had a, 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 a relatively close referendum, but that was compounded by the 2017 general election, which changed the parliamentary arithmetic. And I think it's at that point that things turned and made it a lot more difficult to execute the no deal is better than a bad deal uh, strategy of the UK government, because it was unable to deliver a 
counterfactual of walking away. But Jitesh, you've not table. actually said whether you would or would not support a second referendum, yes or so, no. So you very political there. I wonder uh, if we could get a yes or a no. So, no, I will, I will answer that in the following, in following way. Well, a yes uh, or no might be nice. But anyway. <laughs> if, because you know, this has got to play out. We don't right. know if, I, my first preference is to get a deal and right. I'd be absolutely happy to back Theresa May's deal and I've said that publicly on many occasions. If we move to a no deal, then I do think the goalposts have been materially moved that the public should consent, have informed consent before moving into a no deal situation. And the reason I say that is if you look at the vote leave um, uh, manifesto, it clearly said that we are not going to have an abrupt departure, we're going to have a negotiated deal, uh, and we're going to do this in an orderly way, as did the Conservative Party manifesto. So in the absence, if, if we're going to move to no deal, then I would be more open to it. Otherwise, I would be happy also to have, frankly, any modified deal. Okay, okay, let's get Matteo back in. In the past, I've got notes here of when you've been critical of the EU for certain measures. Are you critical for how they've negotiated here, Matteo? There is a great problem with Brexit, but there is a great dossier with uh, what is today Europe? And uh, my criticism of the past uh, is a criticism of a man who loves European ideal, who believes in the European ideal, who think European ideal will be the future. Okay, I'm really glad, really honored, really happy for the great narrative about Europe of the fathers. Really? We changed this, the history. If my, grandfa my grandfather uh, went to France to make the war, my children will be to the France for make the Erasmus. This is a revolution. But this is the Europe of the father. What is the Europe of the future? And uh, this is the question without answer from our side, also from UK side, but from our side. And the discussion during the negotiation, I, I, I was a member of European Council, I was Prime Minister when David Cameron began and then concluded the agreement, it was good in theory because it was a very technocratic good agreement. And I think for UK it was a good agreement. But the problem is the lack of vision. Sorry. It's every time you lean forward. This is not a referendum when I stop. Uh, <laughs> it's every time you go to the right, Please, that's the problem. thinking about myself when I listen second referendum. Again, again. <laughs> but I support the second referendum in UK, not in Italy. And uh, the, the question is that, what is the vision? What is the ideal of Europe for the future? And that is the point. And also in UK, this discussion is not on the table during the discussion about Brexit. But unfortunately, it's not on the table. Also in Brussels. Nobody speak about the future. First, just a little example, migration. And Greece, Italy, but also UK. Maybe in UK, you, the, 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 the Cameron lost the referendum also for migration, despite it wasn't a problem, a dossier in a referendum. But if you think about migration, migration is a great challenge for the future of Europe, not for a boat who arrive in Sicily with 49 people. But because Africa will have, in the next 25, 30 years, more or less the double of citizens of today. 
And if we don't invest now as Europe in Africa, the only one we will invest will be China. Xi Jinping, during our discussion about uh, 50 people on the boat, uh, prepared a meeting with a check of $60 billion to make some investment in Africa. So Europe today seems in the hands of red tape of bureaucracy. And this, for me, is the great problem, Brexit apart. For the agreement, uh, respect to your question, Nick, okay, the agreement was good. Uh, but the people didn't vote in the agreement. Vote for the emotion, vote for the fear. And everywhere the people vote for the fear. Also in 2005, do you remember, George, in France, when Jacques Chirac lost the referendum about Europe, the people vote against Europe for the, do you remember, the fear of Polish plumber. Now we have Polish plumber, Polish citizen and uh, Hungarian and uh, older people in the east of Europe who attack Europe and the ideal of Europe and reclaim sovereignty. So we need emotion, not only rules and democratic approach. Becky, how divisive, how divisive might another referendum be? I think it's horribly divisive, actually. But again, the situation in the UK now is that um, whatever we do is divisive. Um, and actually, I very much support Jitesh. If we're looking, uh, it, we're staring in the face of no deal. Um, you know, the, 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 the news is moving all the time. But the Prime Minister seems to have succeeded in alienating everybody now. Um, so if her third meaningful vote this week uh, doesn't go ahead or looks at risk that, and, and we're staring uh, no deal in the face, then I think in some ways there's not much other option but a referendum, an, an, a, f a further referendum. Um, I, I mean, I think... Would that, would that mean Britain contests the May elect European elections? <sighs> That's There's another question. Very tough. That's very tough. I, mean, I agree. Think on that, and I'll come back to you. Let's get George can I, can back in. So, can I say something briefly, and then I want to get George. EU. Yeah, of course, yeah. Becky. I mean, I think that the EU failed in its marketing with the UK. It's right to say that it's been a sort of perennial issue, and politicians have used it as a sort of scapegoat. The EU, the answer to all our problems. Okay. But um, but the the this comes back to the area of education again. Because what we haven't had in our curriculum in schools or for the population as a whole is the benefits of the EU. We've hardly ever heard about the benefits, including um, you know, the success of no war, wars in Europe since the Second World War. I, I really fear that we are losing that legacy right. as we fragment. I want, I want to get George in. Yes. Look ahead to those May European elections. Matteo said that he thinks populism will eventually be defeated by reality. What do you see happening in May across the whole of the continent? I, first of all, I, I agree that if there's no deal, and this uh, is a possibility uh, in the UK Parliament, then I think there would, the idea of a referendum would be more pertinent. Uh, and if that goes to that, I would assume that it would be a much longer extension uh, of the Article 50, oh, yeah. uh, which would actually mean that the referendum wouldn't maybe be, I, don't, I think it would be very divisive if it comes just like a sort of like a catapult, but if it's, uh, if it's over a period of time where people can actually discuss, maybe, maybe this division. So, so, so just to give you a sense, we would have to take the legislation to implement a referendum through both houses of parliament, 
decide on the question and have the Electoral Commission, which is an independent third party, also sign off on it. And, Quite a um, and, and so it would be a, a nine-month process. Which would mean most likely that you would then participate in the European elections. Maybe a contradiction, but still maybe very, very helpful in the, in the end. But there's no, a danger no, there, George, on, on that the on extreme populism. parties would come on both sides. Yes, Extre you're right. And this is, this is one thing which populism, and, and going back to what Matteo was saying, Europe has offered much for, for many generations, and certainly for the previous generations, and peace. And, and coming from Greece, we're in, in an area where we're in the Balkans, and in our um, relations with Turkey and so on, it has provided a framework for understanding, for cooperation, for, uh, for, for following certain values, uh, and, and which, which has kept stability, if not complete peace, in the area. Now, we <coughs> need a new vision. And I think this is where you mentioned marketing, but it's also a new vision which is beyond the bureaucracy of Brussels. And that would, I would see, uh, it would be humanizing globalization. Because when we see populism, we have to see what the, what the reason of populism. Look at the UK is divided between the, 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 the countryside, a more conservative area, and the city which is more globalized, or the youth which is more globalized. Well, all our countries are pretty much going through this, and not just Europe around the world we're seeing this. Now, if we don't, we don't see Europe as a humanizing force with certain regulations, fighting tax havens, less inequality, uh, environmental challenges. You know, we saw this young, amazing UK guy this morning, vlogger, talking about environment, uh, the next generation. If we don't see that, uh, then Europe will, will, will lose out. And I just want to add to this sure. that Europe has to play a role in many other areas. When it's strong, and in the civil market it's strong, and that's what's one of the... Will it be weakened, George, in a sentence? If, if the UK does eventually Brexit, it, it will, how, does it that will, weaken the EU? Does it, it focus it the EU? Be, it will be weaker, but it won't be weak. Europe, okay. Europe remains the second largest economy uh, in, in, in nominal terms with the UK and with the UN, uh, US, and with China as far as uh, a second in the... In the um, uh, consumer index, but I would also add to this, the EU, EU could be also a peacemaker in the, in the global world now. If we talk about China, let's work with China. Let's talk about the, the Belt and Road project, which Italy now is, is embroiled in, and say, how can we work together in Africa? How can we work together along the Caucasus? Okay, I want to come back to you in a moment, because remember, we're focused on what it means for young people, so I'm going to come back to you to, to bring it around that. But I want to bring, if I may, Matteo, again, for your political view, of the elections that come up in May, both for the whole of Europe. And do you get the view that if the UK does hold them, there could be candidates extreme right and extreme left because of this Brexit paralysis that actually could be quite damaging to Britain? Well, it's not easy to understand today what could happen in the next uh, um, weeks and in the next election. We are a framework, a European framework, very complicated because uh, I remember uh, 2014. Now we have a totally different framework in Europe, in Europe, not in UK. Uh, we, Angela Merkel, you know, she's absolutely weaker than uh, five years ago. Yeah. Spain, yeah, absolutely. If you remember 2014, elect, European election, Angela was maybe the strongest leader on the world uh, with Barack Obama because uh, Xi Jinping started. I think that uh, is true. We have a problem for populist government in Italy and in Poland, a weaker government respect to the past. 
In Spain, we will have election. UK is in crisis for Brexit. It, remained all, it remains only um, France for the quality of institution in France because France organization is, France institutions are more stable than other because we have five years where there is election of president. Yeah, you've got a, you've but got there is the problem declining of, in popularity. Yeah, declining popularity. Macron is declines in the last period and in the, the last weeks he come back to growth more or less at the same level before Gilets Jaunes, Yellow Vest. Yeah. But there is a problem also in France, of course. Yes. So what is the, the, the question? The question is that we, everyone, everyone today is in front of weak situation for politics. And this is a problem because populism will grow from right. yeah. But, and this is my view, despite that, populists will have a major. I don't believe in the success of populists in the European election. Why? Because if they made a great result, it will be more or less at 135, 140 members of parliament. That means the majority in the European framework will be in the hands of pro-European party. So the extremism will have in the next years the majority in Europe. The problem was, will be, what what is the next for Europe, Brexit apart? Because if Europe con will continue in the next five years to make exactly the same thing of the last period, in the next 10 years, 15 years, the problem will be UK. The problem will be you. This is the, my preoccupation, not the next European election, not the extreme right. Okay, Orban is a problem, perfect. I have a solution. Did you want to make sovereignist with my money? I stop with the money. Because Orban and Poland and all the countries from Visegrad used the Italian, German, uh, British, uh, uh, French money to make today a policy. You'd, you'd stop the money to people like Orban. If you want to be a sovereignist, okay, but with your money. Why? You, it was. Do you what agree, George, or do you cut the money off to I, someone I, like Victor Orban? I agree, and I, but I, and I would also, would, just following up what Matteo is saying, we are dealing with wider problems in the world, and whether it's migration, as you mentioned, whether it is climate change, whether it is the financial crisis, the reaction of the populace is, let's go back to our tribe, to our family, to our island. I have that sometimes. I like to go to a Greek island, just get away from everything, Eat my drink, eat my, fish, my, my, my wine, and so on. And then all of a sudden, the next day, I wake up, and there'll be a thousand migrants, or there'll be climate change, plastic there from you know. So we are no island, and that is what I think. Where Europe has to say, okay, we are no island. Europe has to be stronger, but Europe also okay. has to reform internally to be more democratic, more participative, more citizen participation. And that is how we are going to deal with some of the global problems. And that's why I say what Matteo is saying is, which is right. We need a vision. Uh, we can't sort of be st static. We just can't say li live on our laurels of the past. We need to see how Europe will create a new vision for itself and the world. Let's focus on the debate, which of course is what it means for young people. And this is a global audience. Do you think, Becky, as a result of, assuming Britain does Brexit, taking on board what you say, will young Britons be disadvantaged in comparison to young Italians, young Greeks and other young people around the world? And if you do, you're nodding. If so, why? 
I think they absolutely will. And um, obviously, young people feel that passionately. Um, How do you know that? Well, overwhelmingly, the opinion polls show that uh, young people are vastly in favor of remaining in the EU. Um, and unfortunately, they don't have that democratic input. And I think that uh, when we see the news coverage and the media coverage actually in the UK, young people are almost entirely excluded from those debates. Um, and I think that that is worrying, although, of course, um, for some of us that support Remain, uh, we look to the young people, of course, for the future, because um, it's them that will need to rebuild. I think that um, a question in relation Why didn't they vote, Becky? Many had the opportunity to Well, vote I think actually that is massively debated. You know, how there was a, a narrative after the referendum that young people hadn't voted. No, I didn't say some did, but it wasn't yeah. as high a turnout as perhaps it might have. That's fair. Again, I think there was, there was certainly complacency at the time. Um, and again, I think retrospectively, we can all see everybody woke up that, that morning and assumed we would be remaining and then we found the vote had gone the other way. I mean, it was unexpected, even to the Brexiteers. So I think that, again, uh, we're all wise after the event, and I'm sure young people, more young people would have voted if they'd known. But I'm thinking even of the, the under-18s, um, you know, uh, who are very should be very involved in this debate. I think that there's a question about integrity in our politics. Um, our prime minister still stands after one of, you know, the worst... Uh, outcome in, in a vote in the House of Commons, I think, ever. Um, and then the third worst. Um, people aren't resigning as they ought to. And I think that that sends out a very unfortunate message for young people in terms of faith in politicians, which, again, in terms of the challenge now to our democracy, I think one of the worst problems is that, particularly for the young, but actually for the whole population, we have lost faith okay. in representative This is something about George. politics. Yeah, sure. Well, two things. On education, I, I studied in the UK when I was a, a younger man, and, uh, and that is also a great opportunity. And I, I remember talking to Gordon Brown during the financial crisis, and he says, you know, it's not the car industry, it's not our minds. Education is our biggest industry in the UK. That will be lost, or it will be certainly... You agree it will be lost? I don't think it will be lost, actually. I press well, back undermined on that. I mean, we have, I, I, think, I think there is a challenge to education, but I think it's more of a philosophical challenge. Um, as I say, the correlation between uh, those voting to remain and um, a higher level of education could be seen as a but positive. There will be many students from, the Europe, from Europe that will not be able to afford to come and study in the UK, and that's one thing. But, but your question was... Um, will it affect... Will, will young Brits be disadvantaged as opposed to young Greeks, young Italians, or whatever? I, I, that was I, think, my... I, think, they, I think they will be, uh, because they will lose this very free access to, to the European Union. The Erasmus programs, maybe this, some of these things could be kept, but I think this is the... The, the, and and there's this, the younger generation is very much more transnational, and, and, sure. and, and that's, that's a hope, I think, for our world. And to, just one thing on politics, um, we're expecting too much of our politicians. I'm not, I can be critical of Theresa May, but I think it's a very difficult situation she's in. And one of the reasons is, I'll come back to this, we are, our politics is still local, but the problems are more and more global. Yep. We politicians cannot solve these issues if we don't work together. That's the, that's the magic of the European Union if we use it well and if we really have a vision. Jitesh, I want to bring you back in. I just want to put something to you. You, you mentioned Viktor Orban. There's another way of looking at the European Union at this time. 
which is that some parts of the EU clearly have issues with skin colour. Some parts of the EU aren't tolerant to people's sexualities, as we've seen. Why would young Britons want to be part of a club like that? Matteo. I, I, I think that, uh, first of all, about education, just 30 seconds, I think the risk is not for educative system. The risk, in my opinion, is UK will lose the appealing. You lose the... Uh, UK was for my generation, for the generation of a lot of people here, the, the land of uh, freedom, the land of value, the land of ideals, the land of high quality of education. Today, see UK totally involved in a very unbelievable message of negative, of fear for yes. the future. Could the EU's changed, Matteo. That's the point I'm saying. The, I think There's that. Ugly, do you accept there is an ugly face to part of the EU? Do you accept that? I believe... I lack of tolerance to homosexuality, lack of tolerance to dark faces. For, this is one more thing. And the problem is, if Europe loses itself, Europe is finished. And for that, I fought against Orban and against the ideal of Orban and Visegrad and other people. But the message... One thing is not just the EU. Look at the United States. Sure, look sure. At, look at other countries. Yep, I agree. And not, only, and not only USA, we have to be very frank about it. There is a wave around the world yeah. with the wave against... But the, what is the message? Because... Everyone says, oh, this is populism. No, it's not. It's impossible to have the same uh, expression, populism. W what is populism? Populism is Bolsonaro in, uh, in uh, Latin America, but also maybe Maduro is populist, and uh, there are totally different uh, approach. The populist, it's impossible to de describe populism as a, a policy. What is the populism, in my view, and about... Uh, um, the, the, the problem uh, for racism uh, uh, or for the fight against uh, uh, tolerance, I think, is the fear about the future. Yes. What is the it's message? Those who've been left behind. The message, uh, the message of Viktor Orban is: We build the wall. We build the wall for what? We build the wall because uh, the other is a potential danger, is a potential risk for me. But why? Why, uh, if I'm educated to think you are my enemy, I build myself as an enemy of you. And this is true for the tolerance, for the idea, for the skin. This is the problem today in my personal view. And the message is very unbelievable because if you think about a young generation today, we have a lot of grandfathers who think, oh, the future will be worst. The future will be our problem. It's not true. The future will be better than the past. It's not true. We will have a lot of problems. I city destroy jobs. It's not true. We will have a new future. The problem is the message of negativity, the narrative of preoccupation, the narrative of fear. This is the narrative of populism. And I think in UK, the message of populism will, was a message very terrible because if you, you can win the referendum, but then we can lose against the reality. Jitesh, I don't know whether you have children or grandchildren. Do you have children? You do, you do, okay, well, one, the day will come, I'm sure. Have you let them down as part of the British parliamentary process? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean a cheap shot, but I had paid around the room for that. So let me, um, before coming on to that, I just want to, to dwell on this ugly face of the EU. Which you accept? And I, not only do I accept, but actually, you know, you, you mentioned sort of parts of Eastern Europe. Sweden, 
a country that is, you know, seen as um, on a sort third of high happiest pedestal. country in the world. Third happiest country has got voted twenty percent yeah. for a openly Nazi supporting party. So I, I sort of do think that we have to um, realize the, you know, accept the reality of that, and then I would say. As far as the UK is concerned, and my children and hopefully grandchildren one day, the, we have to take heed of these warnings about um, openness, tolerance, access to opportunities. I actually came to the UK as a refugee. Yes. Um, we were you know, literally thrown out of Uganda overnight in 1972, in a single generation, you know, my family has come from literally rebuilding its future to me sitting in the UK Parliament. So could I think you see that happening actually, again. If you were and, to arrive and, and, in the UK as a young man next week, could you see and, that? Happening? And I think that's what we need to do. We need to renew that promise that we are a country built on meritocracy, that there is no limit for where your um, capabilities and ambitions can take you. And we need to provide all those people who are concerned that they're not gonna get those opportunities. We need to absolutely make it clear that you know, not only do we want four out of the top 10 universities in the world and 19 of the top 100, but we are absolutely committed to maintaining okay. those opportunities can I, can I just... Almost George, regardless of Brexit. George, go ahead briefly, then I want to get back to Becky. George. I was a refugee also. My father was a refugee. My grandfather was a refugee. I lived in Sweden as a refugee. I saw racism, but I saw also something different. The wide majority lived in a country with opportunity, equality, and, and a sense of, of belonging. And I'm very grateful that I did have a place to go to uh, where we were, when we were in exile, when Greece was a dictatorship. But I underlying this... Policy, politics of fear, which Matteo mentioned, and this, um, this I think it's, there's, there's a scapegoating. We are looking for enemies rather than looking at some of the real problems. Uh, Aristotle and Plato in Democracy in Ancient Times talked about some of the problems of demagoguery, and they said there are two basic reasons. One is inequality, and inequality is huge today around the world. The other is education, and education in ancient times was not simply professional education. It was being participating as a citizen. And people don't feel they are participating as citizens in this world. And I think these are, these are big issues we have to grapple with if we want to defeat this fear-mongering and the scapegoating around the world. Coming to the last 10-plus minutes, I want to get Becky back to you. It has been reported that the British government has warned teachers against expressing any political views about Brexit in schools. Were they right so to do? Well, I don't think that this is true. I think that they had wa the, the warnings about politicking in the classroom were actually about the debates on funding cuts in education at the moment, which is a real crisis. Um, building on the points that George has made, I think the, these two issues, social inequality mm -hmm. um, and the lack of uh, buy-in or understanding or, or reflection on our roles as citizens, are twofold and two things that can and should be addressed through education. Um, social inequality, you know, again, the, the relationship between uh, this and popularism, I think, can be clearly traced. Um, clearly, and this is, again, I think, about the, um, 
you know, the distrust of elites. And I think that we, because most of us sitting here are privileged in various ways, uh, need to grasp that responsibility and think differently about our politics. And then thinking about how we build this engagement through education and through the younger generation. I don't know what the uh, situation is like in Italy and Greece, but it's certainly been the case in the UK for a very long time that citizenship education or it's got a complicated acronym in, in Britain, PSHE, uh, has been just a basket for a load of random government agenda, you know, preventing terrorism or, uh, you know, preventing online stalking and so on and so forth that gets thrown into that curriculum rather than a real engagement. I would like to see an equivalent of PPE, politics, philosophy and education uh, and economics uh, being offered to school kids through the citizenship curriculum uh, to engage them. A lot of support for that. Let's, reminding ourselves we have a global audience, one of the big Brexit arguments, Jitesh, was the opportunity to, and you've done this, you've traded outside, was the amazing opportunities awaiting UK outside. Are there those opportunities that do you see? In very, they're, they're absolutely there are. I think the question is whether or not um, you require Brexit to seize them. So what I would argue is that there are a set of opportunities that you can um, still benefit from uh, within the EU customs union. And then if you are outside of the customs union, there may be some that you can exploit, but there'll be a trade-off because clearly you're switching so it is a, negative. A, a 500 million market for a 66 million market. So I think they are not as um, spectacular. And we've seen this already when we've tried to roll over the, the deal with Japan. You know, Japan has just entered into a new FTA with the EU. We've tried to roll it over. Japan is saying, hang on a minute, we might actually want to change the terms. So where's our bargaining power there? Matteo, you're walking back towards the hotel in mm -hmm. 15 minutes' time. Your phone rings. It's Theresa May. Oh. She says, I've always been a fan. A wrong call. You were the youngest prime minister <laughs> Italy. You were the youngest prime minister Italy ever had. You were friendly with Barack. You were friendly. Matteo, I'm in terrible straits. What do I do? Theresa, says Matteo. I'd... What would you tell her? <laughs> The joke is, I resign. No, it's, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke, please. It's a joke. It's a joke. No. That's the front page tomorrow. <laughs> I'm expert. <laughs> um, uh, two things. First is briefly. I think the only way today is for me a second referendum. I totally agree with George because. Uh, the question about the first referendum was, oh, it's very easy to leave uh, you. And now, three years showed the lies about the question. If you pose the question with a lie, you can win the referendum, but we lose the reality. This is my view. The second point is true for Teresa, is true for the other prime minister. And it's very important here in Varki Foundation for me. The, the future is culture. And I totally appreciate your consideration about it. Because, uh, okay, we, we will be in an unbelievable world in the next 25 years. Robot, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things. Okay, yes, it will be wonderful and terrific at the same time. But I think the only way is give a message, not the fear about the future, but of the education. I came from Florence. 
my, in my card, there is not the, the former prime minister. In my card, there is the former mayor of Florence, because for me, it's a great honor. In Florence, in a particular period, in the, the, at the start of Renaissance, Florentine people decide to invest the same money, the same money, for the funds and for culture. And this was a revolution for Renaissance. And this was also by decision after Bataclan. For every euro investing in the funds, cybersecurity, police, army, the same euro for school, theater, museum. So this is the, uh, my suggestion for Teresa. First, second referendum for tomorrow. Second, invest in education and the culture because it's the only way. George, yes. you're walking back to the hotel. <laughs> it's Jeremy Corbyn. It's Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. The phone rings. Theresa May, George, I've always admired you as an elder statesman of Europe. <laughs> you helped steer Greece through a hell of a crisis. George, what do I do? I would follow what Matteo was saying, maybe not on the resigning immediately, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, saying, listen, I speak to the nation. We tried. We have this deal. The UK Parliament doesn't want it. It doesn't go through. Uh, there, are, there are two options, actually. Either we go to elections or we go to a referendum, and I think the referendum would be the more, more likely one to, to, be, to solve this. And, uh, and this is what we have. This is what is on, on offer. The EU, the EU is not going to change its offer in any serious way, and, and, and uh, that's, that's there. So you either say we take this or we stay in, in, uh, in the um, and just picking up on and just picking up on Matteo's point, which is interesting. What would you say to Jeremy Corbyn, who just reminded everyone, was leads the uh, the opposition in the UK? What would you say to him? Is I he would, doing enough? I would say your responsibility is for your country, but it also is for changing Europe. You are a progressive leader in the UK. We need you in Europe. We need your voice. We need also. Mr. Corbyn, or we need the UK. Well, the UK and Mr. Corbyn, and you have quite a bit of power. Maybe you'll be prime minister tomorrow. Why don't you work with us to make changes in Europe? Europe does need to change. It needs to move forward. It's not an ideal. It's a, it's a work under construction. And, and, and I would agree. I mean, Jean Monnet said this. If we could start Europe over again, let's start with education. I think that would be important. Zlatko here from uh, former prime minister of, of uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, talks about shared societies. We are living in a world of shared societies. We have to build values where we can work together. This is what I think, I, I, I think the lessons of, of, of Brexit is that it's, it's too easy to say we build walls or we go back to our island. And, and that, in the end, is creating problems. We have problems, but let's work on them together. And education will allow us to understand each other much better. Becky, it's tough for the politicians. It's probably even tougher for the teachers because they've got children looking to them and saying, what the hell is going on? What would your advice, but particularly children 12, 13, 14, 15, what would your advice be to the teachers looking after those youngsters? Well, I think I've made my comments about yes. citizenship education, um, and I think uh, engaging young people in the conversations is crucial. And my message to policymakers would be invest in education and invest in schools and funding. At the moment, we have both a teaching crisis in relation to a shortage of teachers, and we have um, a funding crisis for schools. And yet we know that the quality of teaching makes the biggest difference to kids' outcomes, and particularly for disadvantaged kids. 
And we know, you know, this has uh, really uh, showed the importance of education. So invest in education, invest in young people. Lastly, Jitesh, you're closest to it for all of us in this panel in that you are part of one of the chambers. Again, with the global audience in mind, what, tell them what to look out for over the next week or 10 days as various votes take place in British, well, actually, I think in both British houses, because you've got a vote Monday, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So look, I think that um, Theresa May has got to make a judgment as to whether or not to bring back what's called MV3 this coming week. My sense is that she's backsliding on that because she knows that she's going to be defeated and might instead um, bring back what, or, or bring to the table what are called indicative votes. Yep. So seven different options of how and we... And explain can, it in a sentence to, again, people who aren't... So those could be um, modifying her deal in different ways. So it could be adding a referendum or it could be adding a permanent customs union. So different options and putting those to the vote. My sense is that is a more likely step this coming week. And frankly, um, and you know, this has been said many weeks in the last few months, that she may not survive the end of the week, but it's quite possible that she herself may decide that actually, look, I am an obstacle to a resolution of this process. So we may have a very dramatic week. My sense is that we have to, not my sense, we absolutely have to make up our mind um, before the 12th of April whether or not we want to fight the European elections and whether or not by that point we want an extension, a longer extension, because we have decided either on a referendum or on a different type of deal that we then need to negotiate and change the political declaration. It's clear to me that the withdrawal agreement will remain as it is. So, if I can ask in a moment, as I go round the panel, your appreciation for Matteo Renzi, in a moment, who Italy's youngest prime minister, who wants to set up a club for those who lose referendum. <laughs> George Papandreou, Greek's prime minister, who likes to sit on an island drinking a bottle of wine and reading Aristotle. <laughs> Becky Francis who, bizarre, Francis, who bizarrely wants to do it all again, but redo PPE classes. And, of course, Jitesh Gardia, who sadly is actually challenged with trying to make sense of it, if you've enjoyed it, I've been Nick Ferrari from a radio station in the UK and from Sky News. If you haven't, I've been Nigel Farage. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.